Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will happen to be section 89 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So I'm going to read the heading first. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Kirtland, Ohio, February 27th, 1833. As a consequence of the early brethren using tobacco in their meetings, the prophet was led to ponder upon the the matter. Consequently, he inquired of the Lord concerning it. This revelation, known as the word of wisdom, was the result. So I'll read a little bit of historical background about this particular section, uh, asking the question, first of all, why was the word of wisdom revealed? The Lord's counsel about what is not good for the body, the Lord's counsel about what is good for the body, promised blessings for obedience to the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is to sharpen our physical senses to receive revelation. Section 88 is about being in tune spiritually. Then section 89 is telling us that the body needs to be in shape physically so that our faculties are clean and able to receive spiritual revelation. During the winter of 1833, the School of the Prophets met frequently, and Joseph and Emma Smith both became concerned about the brethren's customary use of tobacco, especially the cloud of tobacco smoke in meetings and lack of cleanliness caused by chewing tobacco. Joseph Smith inquired of the Lord about the matter and received the revelation that is known as the Word of Wisdom. This revelation gave the Lord's commandments for the care of the body and spirit and promised that those who obeyed them would receive the spiritual blessings of wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. The Word of Wisdom also contained information about health that was not known to the medical or scientific world at the time, but has since been proven to be of great benefit, such as the counsel not to use tobacco or alcohol. Brigham Young said, I think I am well as well acquainted with the circumstances which led to the giving of the word of wisdom as any man in the church, although I was not present at the time to witness them. The first school of the prophets was held in a small room situated over the prophet Joseph's kitchen in a house which belonged to Bishop Whitney and which was attached to his store, which store probably might be about 15 feet square. In the rear of this building was a kitchen, probably 10 by 14 feet, containing rooms and pantries. Over this kitchen was situated the room in which the prophet received revelations and in which he instructed his brethren. The brethren came to that place for hundreds of miles to attend school in a little room, probably no larger than 11 by 14. When they assembled together in this room after breakfast, the first thing they did was to light their pipes and, while smoking, talk about the great things of the kingdom and spit all over the flo- all over the room. And as soon as the pipe was out of their mouths, a large chew of tobacco would then be taken. Often, when the prophet entered the room to give the school instructions, he would find himself in a cloud of tobacco smoke. This, and the complaints of his wife at having to clean so filthy a floor, made the prophet think about the matter, and he inquired of the Lord relating to the the conduct of the elders in using tobacco and the revelation, known as the word of wisdom, was the result of the inquiry of his inquiry. Although although the word of wisdom was received on the 27th of February 1833, its acceptance by individual members of the church was gradual. On the 9th of September 1851, some 18 years after it was given, the patriarch to the church, John Smith, delivered a talk in general conference on the word of wisdom. 
During his address, President Brigham Young arose and proposed that all saints formally covenant to abstain from tea, coffee, tobacco, and whiskey, and all things mentioned in the Word of Wisdom. Minutes of the General Conference. Uh, the motion was accepted unanimously and, began, and became binding as a commandment for all church members thereafter. Many church leaders did not begin completely to live the Word of Wisdom until several decades after it was received. On the 13th of October, 1882, the Lord revealed to John Taylor that the Word of Wisdom should henceforth be considered a commandment to the church. Soon thereafter, on the 28th of September, 1883, the Quorum of the Twelve collectively resolved to observe the Word of Wisdom in its entirety, and on the 11th of October, 1883, observance of the Word of Wisdom was made a condition for attending the recently received schools of the prophets. These later schools were not the same as the 1833 school, but were perhaps more like predecessors of today's priesthood leadership training meetings. During October conference in 1908, President Anthon H. Lund of the First Presidency announced that individuals violating the Word of Wisdom should not be called to leadership positions in local units and quorums of the church. In 1913, the First Presidency instructed the President of the Salt Lake Stake not to recommend young men for missionary service unless they were observing the Word of Wisdom. And finally, in 1919, the First Presidency under Heber J. Grant began to, to make ob observance of the Word of Wisdom a condition for receiving a temple recommend. All right, so let's uh, one more one more last thing. It is interesting to note that verses one through three originally constituted an introduction to the word of wisdom, and that the text of Revel of the Revelation itself was usually thought to begin with what is now verse four. In eighteen seventy six, Brigham Young directed that the introduction, which according to all early manuscripts and printed versions had always been part of section eighty nine, be moved into the main body of the text as verses 1 through 3. Apparently, the introduction itself was inspired of the Lord and was given to Joseph Smith by revelation with the rest of the section. Verse 1. A word of wisdom for the benefit of the council of high priests assembled in Kirtland and the church and also the saints in Zion. The reference in this revelation to the council of high priests assembled in Kirtland is to those involved in the school of the prophets which met in the upper room of the Whitney store. Verse 2, to be sent greeting, not by commandment or constraint. As originally given, the word of wisdom was not binding on the church as a commandment. The Lord, in his wisdom, was patient in allowing a time and season for his people to grow up into the commandment. Joseph F. Smith observed or offered this explanation. The reason, undoubtedly, why the word of wisdom was given as not by commandment or restraint was that at that time, at least, if it had been given as a commandment, it would have brought every man addicted to the use of these noxious things under condemnation. So the Lord was merciful and gave them a chance to overcome before he brought them under the law. Since the early 1930s, however, the prohibition of the commandment, refraining from the use of alcohol, tea, coffee, and tobacco, have been viewed as binding on the faithful saint. Adherence to the same is considered a, pre a prerequisite for baptism and for entrance into the temple. Continuing verse 2, but by revelation and the word of wisdom, showing forth the order and will of God in the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days given for a principle with promise, ad adopted or adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints, 
The thought being conveyed with this expression is that all who desire to live the commandment will be blessed with the ability to do so, who are or can be called saints. Verse 4, Verily, Behold, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do <clears throat> and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarned you by giving unto you this word of wisdom by revelation, that inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink among you, behold, it is not good, neither meet in the, in the sight of your father, only in assembling yourselves together to offer up your sacraments before him. And behold, this shall be wine unto you, or this shall be wine, yea, pure wine, of the grape of the vine of your own make. Convincing arguments can be presented to sustain the idea that the phrase pure wine refers simply to grape juice or to a wine with a low level of intoxicant in it. The language of this revelation leaves the impression that a wine with a low level of intoxicant is, in, is intended. And that was by Joseph uh, Fielding McConkie. John A. Woodso, though, had a differing opinion. He said, The word of wisdom provides that wine used for the sacrament should be pure wine of the grape of the vine of your own make. This statement is understood to mean new or unfermented grape juice, since the word of wisdom declares unequivocally against the internal use of alcohol in any form. This interpretation is reinforced by the fact that under divine command, water was early in the history of the church substituted for wine for sacramental purposes. And that was, and in section 27, water is always used by the church in partaking of the sacrament. Reference is often made to the supposed use of wine by the Savior at the Last Supper. It is well known, however, that the words, the fruit of the vine, have been translated as wine. It is equally well known that in the Old Testament, three different words are translated wine, two of which used most commonly refer clearly to unfermented grape juice. In the New Testament, two Greek words, not necessarily representing fermented grape juice, are translated wine. Intoxicating wine was not a common beverage among ancient Israel. Verse 7, And again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. The Lord has not ordained strong drinks for the belly, but for the washing of the body. Tobacco is a nauseous, stinking, abominable thing, and I am surprised that any human being should think of using it. For an elder, especially to eat or smoke, is it is a disgrace. He is not fit for the office. He ought first to learn to keep the word of wisdom and then to teach others. God will not prosper the man who uses it. Again, hot drinks are not for the body or belly. There are many who wonder what this can mean, whether it refers to tea or coffee or not. I say it does refer to tea and coffee. That was by Joseph Smith. Verse 8, And again, tobacco is not for the body, neither for the belly, and is not good for man, but is an herb for bruises and all sick cattle to be used with judgment and skill. And again, hot drinks are not for the body or the belly. This language is contemporary to the days in which the revelation was given. Hiram M. Smith and Jan Schodel observe in their commentary that hot drinks means tea and coffee, as those two beverages were the only ones in common use among the members of the church and drunk at a high temperature at the time when the revelation was given. The reason why those beverages were condemned was because they contained a habit-forming drug rather than because of the temperature at which they were swallowed. Although liquids taken into the stomach at too high a temperature frequently and in large quantities would be hurtful. But the chief objection to tea and coffee is the drug they contain. It contains logically... It follows logically that any other beverage which contains a hurtful drug or element is open to the same objection, regardless of the temperature at which it is taken. 
I've often heard uh, some people talking about drinking Coca-Cola, that they just have their caffeine at a different temperature than coffee. Some of the early brethren explained what was meant by this phrase. Hiram Smith wrote, and again, hot drinks are not for the body or belly. There are many who wonder what this can mean, whether it refers to tea, coffee, or not. I say it does refer to tea and coffee. The prophet Joseph uh, said, I understand that some of the people are excusing themselves in using tea and coffee because the Lord only said hot drinks in the revelation of the word of wisdom. Tea and coffee are what the Lord meant when he said hot drinks. What about, coca- what about cola drinks, kava, some health or sports drinks, or other drinks containing stimulants? An official statement by the church's leaders read, or reads, With reference to cola drinks, the church has never officially taken a position on this matter. But the leaders of the church have advised, and we do now specifically advise, against the use of any drink containing harmful habit-forming drugs under circumstances that would result in acquiring the habit. Any beverage that contains ingredients harmful to the body should be avoided. That was in a priesthood bulletin back in February of 1972. Verse 10, And again, verily I say unto you, all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. The word herbs refers to vegetables and plants that are nourishing and healthful for man. Verse 11, every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof, all these to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. Joseph Fielding Smith said, some have stumbled over the meaning of the expression and have argued that grains and fruits should only be used in the season of their growth and when they have ripened. This is not the intent, but any grain or fruit is out of season, no matter what part of the year it may be, if it is unfit for use. The apple under the tree, bruised and decaying, is out of season, while the good fruit is waiting to be plucked from the tree. John A. Whitso said, The phrase is, in the season thereof, referring to fruits and vegetables, has raised much speculation. It indicates simply the superior value of fresh foods as demonstrated by modern science, but does not necessarily prohibit the use of fruits or vegetables out of season if preserved by proper methods. Verse 12, Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air, I the Lord have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving, nevertheless they are to be used sparingly. The eating of meat is not prohibited by this or any other revelation from God. This revelation does direct, however, that meat be used with prudence, with thanksgiving, sparingly, and preferably in times of winter, or of cold or famine. That was by Joseph Fielder McConkie. The term sparingly must be understood according to the standards and norms of frontier America in 1833. At that time, meat was often considered the staff of life, and when possible, the diets of many Americans consisted largely of even or even mostly of animal flesh. Section 89 seeks instead to establish whole grains as the staff of life or the primary sustenance of humans without at the same time forbidding the use of meats sparingly. Moreover, when the word of wisdom was revealed, methods for preserving meat were still primitive. Spoiled meat can be fatal if eaten, but the chance of spoilage is not as great in winter as in summer. Modern methods or refrigeration now make it possible for meat to be frozen and thereby preserved for later use in any season. Refrigeration also makes it possible to keep freshly uh, freshly slaughtered meat without risk of spoilage for longer periods of time, even in summer's heat. It should be noted that the proper definition of sparingly can vary depending on difference in one's age, activity, weather, or other circumstances. Verse 13, And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or famine. This verse has caused some to ask if meat should be eaten in the summer. 
Meat has more calories than fruits and vegetables, which some individuals may need fewer of in summer than winter. Also, before fruits and vegetables could be preserved, people often did not have enough other food to eat in winter. Spoiled meat can be fatal if eaten, and in former times, meat spoiled more readily in summer than winter. Modern methods of refrigeration now make it possible to preserve meat in any season. The key word with respect to the use of meat is sparingly. Verse 14, all grain is ordained for the use of man and of beasts to be the staff of life, not only for man, but for the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven and all wild animals that run or creep on the earth. All grain, or all these hath God made for the use of man only in times of famine and excess of hunger. All grain is good for the food of man, as also the fruit of the vine, that which yieldeth fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground. Nevertheless, wheat for man, and corn for the ox, and oats for the horse, and rye for the fowls, and for swine, and for all beasts of the field, and barley for all useful animals, and for mild drinks, as other, as also other grains. And all saints who remember to keep and do these sayings, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel, and marrow to their bones. Symbolically, the navel represents the original source of nourishment and strength to every soul born into this world. Marrow represents the source of strength to the bones. The metaphor is rooted in one of the Proverbs. It reads, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. In this expressive way, the ancient sage reminds us that obedience to the commands of God brings a healthy body. The chain of thought being that to trust God brings peace of mind that in turn fosters good health, which in which in its turn brings a long and happy life. That was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Verse 19, And shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. George Albert Smith, the Lord said that he would give to those who would keep this word of wisdom great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. I refer, I refer you to the February 1944 number of the uh, Improvement Era, wherein was published a graph showing the relative position of the states of the Union as to the number of scientists born in those states in proportion to population. Strange as it may seem, if you begin at the lower corner of that graph and followed up state by state, you would come to the state of Massachusetts next to the highest on the graph, yet you would not have reached the state of Utah. You have to go 20% points higher up the graph to find Utah, the state that has produced more scientists born within its borders per capita than any other state in the American Union. That wasn't an accident. It was a fulfillment of the promise of God as a result of observance of the Lord's commandments. Boyd K. Packer said, Young people stay in condition to respond to inspiration. I have come to know also that a fundamental purpose of the word of wisdom has to do with revelation. From the time you are very little, we teach you to avoid tea, coffee, liquor, tobacco, narcotics, and anything else that disturbs your health. And you know that we get very worried when we find one of you tampering with those things. If those under the influence can hardly listen to plain talk, how can they respond to spiritual promptings that touch their most delicate feelings? As valuable as the word of wisdom is as a law of health, it may be much more valuable to you spiritually than it is physically. Even if you keep the word of wisdom, there are some things that can happen to you physically, but those things don't generally damage you spiritually. Verse 20, And shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a, pr a promise that the destroying angel 
shall pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. Amen. <clears throat> John A. Widso said, the, re- the reward for keeping the word of wisdom is fourfold. Self-control is developed. That is implied in verse 3 of the Revelation, which states that the word of wisdom is adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints, who or, or can be called saints. Two, strength of body, including resistance to contagion as a result of wise living. Three, clearness of mind is the gift of those whose bodies are in health con- in a healthy condition. And four, spiritual power comes to all who conquer their appetites, live normally, and look upward to God. Bruce R. McConkie said, It is my experience that people who ride gospel hobbies who try to qualify themselves to experts or as experts in some specialized field, who try to find the whole plan of salvation revolve around some field or of particular interest to them. It is my experience that such persons are usually spiritually immature and spiritually unstable. This includes those who devote themselves as though by divine appointment to setting forth the signs of the times or to expounding about the second coming or to a faddist interpretation of the word of wisdom, or to a twisted emphasis on temple work, or any other doctrine or practice. The Jews of Jesus' day made themselves hobbyists and extremists in the field of Sabbath observance, and it colored and blackened their whole way of worship. We would do well to have a, sa- have a sane, rounded, and balanced approach to the whole gospel and all of its doctrines. All of the doctrines and practices of the church are taught publicly. There are no secret doctrines, no private practices, no course of conduct approved for a few only. The blessings of the gospel are for all men. Do not be deceived into believing that the general authorities believe any secret doctrines or have any private ways of living. Everything that is taught and practiced in the church is open to public inspection, or at least, where temple ordinances are concerned, to the inspection and knowledge of everyone who qualifies himself by personal righteousness to enter the house of the Lord. The proper course of all of, to, for all of us is to stay in the mainstream of the church. This is the Lord's church, and it is led by the spirit of inspiration, and the practice of the church constitutes the interpretation of the scripture. Some unstable people become cranks with reference to this law of health. It should be understood that the word of wisdom is not the gospel, and the gospel is not the word of wisdom. There is no prohibition in section 89, for instance, as to the eating of white bread, using white flour, white sugar, cocoa, chocolate, eggs, milk, meat, or anything else, except items classified under the headings tea, coffee, tobacco, and liquor. Latter-day Saints are free to compose their own diets within the Lord's parameters, but not to impose their preferences and opinions on others. Marky Peterson wrote, I do not believe we should try to establish our personal fads as church doctrine. I do not believe my eternal salvation will be affected in any way if I eat white bread or white sugar. I do not believe the doctrine of the church... The doctrines of the church are in any way involved in whether my whole wheat is stone ground or steel cut. John A. Witso again said, The positive part of the revelation is of first importance. First, or sense obedience to it, lessens the appetite for injurious substances. This part of the revelation further teaches, in addition to the sparing use of meat, that all wholesome vegetables, herbs, fruits, and all grains, notably wheat, should be eaten for good health. In the observance of the word of wisdom, caution should be used. Personal opinions often color our practices. We have the right of free agency, but nevertheless we should not try to stretch the word of wisdom to conform with our own opinions. For example, the word of wisdom is not a system of vegetarianism. Clearly, meat is permitted. Naturally, that includes animal products less subject than meat to 
putrefaction, that means getting spoiled, and other disturbances such as eggs, milk, and cheese, these products cannot be excluded simply because they are not mentioned specifically. By that token, most of, other, most of our foodstuffs could not be eaten. That man can live without meat is well known, and he may live well if his knowledge is such as to enable him to choose adequate vegetable protein. And all have the right, if they so choose, to live without meat. The phrase in the season thereof, referring to fruits and vegetables, has raised much speculation. It indicates simply the superior value of fresh foods to demonstrate by modern science, as demonstrated by modern science, but does not necessarily prohibit the use of fruits or vegetables out of season if preserved by proper methods. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we understand better the word of wisdom and, and live it uh, to the best that we can, that we will have the, the blessings of God and that those hidden treasures, which are testimonies of the gospel, uh, will come forth and that we might uh, be able to understand better revelation because we are in physical condition to be able to do so. I bear this testimony and say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.